Well, good morning. How are we? So winter to spring, back to winter. We okay? Love the Midwest. Never get used to that. Just wait 15 minutes, the weather will change. Um, I have been a little bit under the weather the last uh, week and a half, and my family has been uh, ravished with poor health. So um, I'm praying I can get through this, uh, my voice. Uh, it's a little weak, but um, I'm really glad to uh, be here with you this morning and uh, continue our series in uh, the, the Gospel of John. We've been looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. And um, I've said this a couple times during the series is that if I was going to try to describe uh, what Christianity is about or, or who this Jesus is or, or what Jesus has come to do, one of the places I would go is to look at these seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. Um, because I think they're the, the essence, the, the heartbeat of what God is and who God is and what he, he's come uh, to do. And, and so uh, before we jump into the next I am statement, uh, ju- go to John chapter uh, 10, and we're going to look at one more. I'm going to read this first. We're going to pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in together. Um, but we're going to look at another one this morning as we kind of journey through the Lent series. And, and also part of this series is to kind of uh, just reimagine again who is God and what does He come to do and, and why it matters and and I love these seven statements for that that reason um, because I think even if you've been a Christian for a long time or, or been around the church for a long time is that that sometimes we we, we get in these kind of habits and these ruts of of this is who God is and this is what we do and this is who we are and so I've just been praying that God would kind of show us new and fresh things because He does it all the time through His Scriptures and by His Spirit of. Of, of how he's revealed himself to us and how he comes to us um, and how he meets us in when we're on the, uh, I love how Joe, when he leads worship, he always says, if you're on the highest of high or you're on the lowest of low, God meets us right in those places, wherever you are this, this morning. Um, and so I pray that, that God would do that as well um, as we look at these. So John chapter 10, I'm just going to read 11 to 18. Uh, it's page 896 in your chair Bibles if you need one. Uh, it should be on the screen too. John chapter 10, 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, And I have other sheep that are not of the fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. (coughs) I apologize, I might do that a few times. Hey, I got some coffers. I heard you. Yes. Let's cough together. Uh, Let's pray and ask for God's help. (laughs) Can't get an amen, but I can get some coughs. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Um, I think as I I get older and as I follow you, God, I'm amazed at the graciousness that you would give us in your word, that you'd give us your voice to hear from you anytime we want. And we, we're, we hear so many voices every day and every week and clamoring for our attention. And, and yet there's this one sure voice that we can continually come back to. 
that's right here in your scriptures. And, and what a privilege it is to come together as a church family, as brothers and sisters, to, to worship you, but to hear from you. Um, so I pray that through my voice, that they'd hear your voice. That's the most important thing this morning. So help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Teach us and guide us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so we've been looking at these seven I am statements. And what I love about them is it is about the, the longing of the human heart, that there's so much that Jesus says that, that we all need. And, and so when we looked back at week one, if you remember, we looked at Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And, and it's this, this very common resource that every culture, every time, every place has had some form of bread um, that, to sustain them. But then Jesus comes on the scene and says, well, I, I'm the bread of life, that, that man can't just live on, on bread alone, that there's something deeper, there's something more that you need in your life, that, that bread is good. Yes, we need the physical reality of food, right? And, and, and God has even given us that to sustain us. But I've come to, to quench some appetites that you have that can't be quenched by mere bread, right? And so we spend a lot of, of our lives trying to run after things that just seem to become moldy and crusty, especially if you live in the Midwest and your bread goes moldy and crusty very quick in the uh, humid summers. <coughs> and, and yet Jesus says, I am that thing that you're longing for. I am that salvation, that hope, that joy that you've been, as we just sang, that, that fullness of joy that you've been looking for that not even bread itself can satisfy because it's just temporal, but I'm eternal. He said, I'm the light of the world as well. He says, you know, and, and I, I love that phrase because we all live in darkness. We have darkness in us, but we live in a dark world and, and, and we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. Like, where do we find life? Where do we, where do we go, right? We need someone to light our paths. I love that imagery that Jesus says, I'm going to be that for you, that I'm going to come and I'm actually going to light the way for you. I'm going to show you where true life is found. I'm the light of the world. And then he calls us to be that same light, that as we, we walk in the light with Jesus, as we become a, a city on a hill, uh, as we shine forth, we can point others to the light that they long for because everyone's looking for something, for hope, for significance, for meaning. And, and yet we just grab here, we grab there. And yet Jesus says, I've come to, to light a path for you. I've come to be your light. And then last week, Andy talked about Jesus being the gate or the door. I love this imagery that John uses, that, that Jesus is, is this gate or door, and, and he's referencing this, the, the sheep pen, so that there would be this gate in the sheep pen, and only the, the, the shepherds would, would have a, a lock to the, to the door, some way of opening it, and so thieves and robbers would jump over the fence to steal the sheep and, and those kinds of things. But, but Jesus uses that metaphor to say, say I'm the one that, that where you need to go to find, to lead you, to guide you. It's, there's only through this one path. And I, I had a, a funny thought this week. I, I was thinking about, you remember that game show, This Dates Me, but Let's Make a Deal? And uh, there have been different uh, adorations of this, or aberrations, I don't know the word. Um, but there's these three doors, right? And you, you have to choose, you know, do I go this door, or this door, or this door? And one has, like, the really sweet prize, like the, the RV, you know, and then the other one's like a llama. Like, do you, have you ever seen the show? And so we, we kind of, you freak out, you get anxious. If you ever watch the show, it's, it's pretty anxious uh, to, to watch it. You know, which one am I going to choose? And yet, yet our lives can feel like that often. Like, well, which door do I open? Well, where do I find hope and meaning and significance and salvation? Is it this door? Is it that door? You know, which one am I going to choose? And yet Jesus comes along and says, I'm that gate you've been longing for. Trust me and go right through. There's going to be thieves. There's going to be robbers that are going to jump the fences. But I'm going to guide you and lead you to still water. And so this morning, we're going to look at 
the next I am statement, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And, and I would say, submit to you, that, that I am the good shepherd is probably the most personal of these seven I am statements. It, it's, it's some of the most intimate language that we have that Jesus gives to us to describe who he is and what he's, he's come to do. And it's because the relationship between the shepherd and a sheep is one of the most intimate relationships in the universe. Now, as soon as I say that, you're like, okay, I'm going to take a nap for a few minutes. So you're going to talk about sheep and shepherds and that's right. Cause it just, it feels so out of, out of touch. It feels like, okay, John, John inspired by the Holy spirit. Okay. Sheep and shepherd. Jesus says, I am the, I am the good shepherd. It seems like that just doesn't connect with me. I, I don't understand how that works. Like any shepherds this morning? None. Okay. I was hoping you could help me out here this morning. So, so we haven't really been around shepherds. We haven't really been around sheep that all that much. Right. And so it just seems like a, like a strange thing. But to the outsider, yeah, it seems strange. But it is one of the most intimate connections between an a, a animal and a human in the history of the world. When we really dig into it. And that's what we're going to dig into this morning. You're going to learn a lot about shepherds and sheep. And, and, and yet it's a, it's a personal reality that Jesus is using that metaphor to say, 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 I've come for connection. I've come for relationship. I didn't come for philosophy or ideals or follow this body, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> body of teaching. This cold is really bringing me down. I can't get excited because then I just start hacking like I usually do. Um, but, but it's this very intimate metaphor that Jesus is going to use. The relationship between the sheep and a shepherd. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the good shepherd? And I wouldn't want to even submit to you this morning, what does it mean for Jesus to say, I am your good shepherd? Because I think sometimes we'll, we'll, we read the scriptures and, and we just, we, we kind of, we look for theology, we look for history, not, nothing wrong with that. We look for context, but we never make it personal. But like, what would it mean to say, say, Jesus, you are my bread of life. Jesus, you are my light of the world. And it's not to feed our American, you know, egotistical, selfish individualism. That's not what we're about here. But, but we always say, I, I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith. I don't feel like I feel like I'm still struggle with, with a lot of things. And you're going to struggle the rest of your life, by the way. That's, that's free advice. But, but what if we made it personal? I am the good shepherd, but you're my good shepherd. So what does that mean for us uh, this morning? Just a, a couple things here when Jesus says this. Well, the first thing that I, th- I think is, is very obvious from, from our text is that the good shepherd has an intimate knowledge of his sheep. <coughs> Maybe I should just hold this. How about that? I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own, and my own, excuse me, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So, so we know that word know in the scriptures from Old Testament and New Testament is a very intimate word. Um, even in the Old Testament, when you see the word know, it actually has, has kind of uh, sexual connotations, very intimate, that between a husband and a wife to know someone deeply, it's the closest thing that we can, we can know. And again, that's not what it means here necessarily, but it's a, it's a close relationship. It's an intimate relationship. So, so what's so astounding, and I, I've read this text many, many times. I've, I've preached from this, these verses many, many times. But one of the things that struck me this week was when I, when I was reading it, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I and I know the Father. 
He doesn't just say, I know you, you know me. But he's saying the relationship that the Father and the Son have had from all of eternity is the same relationship that Jesus knows his own sheep. You catch that? Like, that's pretty close. That's about as close as it gets. That that's the kind of relationship that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, is inviting you and me to say, you can enjoy a relationship that the Father and the Son have shared from all of eternity. That's the same relationship that you get to share with me. The good shepherd has an intimate knowledge of his flock. Now, one way to see how that knowledge works and that intimacy works is to contrast the shepherd and the hired hand. Some translations say the hireling, if you will. In verse 11, it says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, interesting. So if you were a shepherd in the ancient world and you had a bunch of sheep and uh, your, your sheepfold got too big, you would hire someone else. Makes sense. Good business practice, right? If you own a business and work gets too much, hey, we hire some more people to kind of help with, with the task, right? Get, get the thing done. Keep the, the sheep in the sheep pen and lead them where they need to go, right? But what Jesus is saying here in this text and what John is saying here is that the hired hand, the hireling, doesn't give a rip about the sheep. Because as soon as the wolf comes, see ya. He's not invested like the shepherd. Yeah, he's getting a paycheck, but man, as soon as the wolf comes and the sheep start freaking out, I'm out of here. Because here's the thing. A hireling would be so thrown off the moment a wolf jumped into the sheep pen. Because let me let you in on a little secret about sheep. They're really dumb. Like dumbest animals on the planet. They are, literally. So, So when sheep get out of the pen and they're not with their shepherd and a wolf comes and something chaotic happens, is they freak out. They panic. Like, they're just full of anxiety. They're not like other animals. Now, um, I'll be careful how I couch this because I know I'll offend the dog and cat people. Uh, but I won't make any judgments if you're a cat person. Um, but, but if cats get out of your house or dogs get out of your house, they're pretty excited. Like, they run wild. Most animals are. Like, I'm free, right? Uh, my, my neighbor, um, uh, Willie, he, he has this great little dog. He's a hilarious little dog. Um, he must be like a million years old. He's this little kind of basset hound thing. And he just kind of scoots through the neighborhood. He doesn't really have a fence or anything. And he just kind of goes up and down the street. And the other day, I was, I was out in the front yard. And he never makes much noise. And he started, he like barked at me. He got scared. I think we scared each other. And he, he barked at me. And I literally had a heart attack and, you know, was freaking out. Um, but the thing about Willie's little dog is that he just kind of roams free. He's wild. It, it's fine, right? Sheep are not like that at all. They, they function best with their shepherd and with a group of sheep. They don't know what to do. So, so imagine a, a hireling, a, a hireling that's not invested, that doesn't have their livelihood tied up into these sheep, and, and the wolf comes, and he doesn't know what to do. He's like, see you later, good luck. Hope that all goes well for you. Because the reason the good shepherd has to have this intimate knowledge of the flock, as I said, is because the sheep just aren't that smart. They're lost. They're helpless. They need guidance. And the shepherd is willing to enter into 
a world that is so, you know, back in the ancient times, if you were a shepherd, you were kind of seen as the, the kind of weirdo, scum of the earth, kind of lower class. But their whole lives were wrapped up in the thriving of these sheep. This was their livelihood. Like this was their money. They didn't have cash. They didn't have commerce bank, right? They didn't have direct deposit. So their livelihood was these animals, keeping them alive. And they would have to do anything and everything to make sure that that happened. And that required a very intimate knowledge of every single sheep that was part of their sheep fold. So what is Jesus saying here? That, that I'm the good shepherd and he has this intimate knowledge of us. Well, he, he's saying that, that we are so spiritually dependent and utterly helpless and like sheep that we're lost, that we're naturally going to run away from our master's voice. We're naturally going to run from the shepherd's voice and not want anything to do with him, that we need someone to come along and say, come, follow me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you to safety. I'm going to guide you to green pastures. Just come and listen to me. I have what's best for you. I have all the significance, all the salvation, all the hope, all the joy that you've been, been looking for. Come and follow me. Because I know you're not that smart and you're not that wise. And I know when we say that around here, and I know when we look at the scriptures, like, like that's actually really good news. Because unless you're like really young and naive, you know it's true. Like you don't possess all the knowledge in the universe. If you look at your daily decisions, sometimes you just shake your head and just go like, did I really just say that and do that? Right? I, <laughs> I'll just be a little vulnerable here. So tax time, glorious time of year. Just love it every year. That was a joke, by the way. <laughs> but it is nice when you do get a little return once in a while, right? Amen. And uh, so get our taxes done, going to get a little cash back, right? And it's amazing how much my heart goes to, you know, we should, or doesn't go to, you know, we should just like build some wells in Africa and, um, you know, help all the orphans and plant churches. How it goes to like, hey, how can we blow all this money on ourselves, Right? Is that too honest? Like, what trips can we go on, right? But, like, it's amazing that that's, that's in me, right? But, but, but I need something. I need someone to say, say Ryan, like, th- that's fine. Again, th- there's nothing wrong. Hey, if you got to, I'm not, you know, you, I know some of you just like, I mean, we're going to take an offering, so if you have a tax return, just throw it in the bucket. No, we're not going to do that. You could do what you feel God's called you to do with that. But, but what I'm saying is that, that, that we do need a shepherd. We do, do need someone to say there's something greater that, that you can do with your life. There's something that, that, that by our natural inclinations, that's where I'm going to go all the time. To say, how do I build the kingdom of Ryan, the holy trinity of me, myself, and I? How do I build it? And so Jesus knows that. He knows that we're helpless. He knows that we're lost. He knows that we're weak. And yet he's willing to carry us where we need to go. You know, what's interesting about a shepherd is that when a sheep is wounded, they will literally put the sheep on their back and carry it to safety. That if a shepherd is guiding the sheep flock and they come across a brook or a river, they will literally take each sheep one by one, throw it around their shoulders and climb through the water to get it on the other side. You see what John's doing here with this, these metaphors? He's saying, that's, that's what Jesus is for you. That he's put you on his back. And he's carrying you across the water. With all your wounds. 
that you're bleeding out. And I'm going to bring you to safety. I think we could read Psalm 23. Andy read it uh, this morning in our statement of faith with fresh eyes when we, when we see John 10. Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I was saying this to the worship team this morning. Like It's really important that you don't read this as like a coffee cup verse. Oh, he leads me by still waters. Oh, the babbling brook. Did you catch what it said? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In Hebrew, it's deep valley of darkness. If you're at the mountaintop or you're at the, in the pit, the good shepherd's with you. He has this intimate knowledge of you. He knows your weakness. He knows your sin. He knows everything that you are, and yet he's putting you on his shoulders and carrying you across the waters with all your wounds, all your pain and all your struggle and all your loss. That, that Jesus was the, ent- the one who entered into the ultimate valley of death, didn't he? He entered the, the valley of the cross. He went to the cross. He went to utter darkness, separation from the Father, that the wrath of God, the anger of God, all of our sins were placed on him. He went into the valley so that we could have green pastures. He went without water so that we could have living water. You remember when he rejected the water on the cross? And they tried to feed him and take care of him. And he took his own life and said, I'm going to lay it down so you could have life. I'm going to carry you across like a good shepherd would his, his sheep. And you see, in our, in our culture, people would say, well, we don't really need a shepherd. I mean, we don't use that language a lot. But, you know, we don't, I don't need anyone to, to carve my path, to tell me what, what I need to do or where I need to go. I'm going to be my own person. But you know how big a lie that is? There's no such thing as a self-made man or woman. You are shaped and formed by everything and everyone around you. Right? Here's why. (laughs) Um, Because one is we all need someone to lead and guide us. Like We we don't have it in us to just say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go here, I just need to look within myself. That's why self-help doesn't work. Because your self is warped and jacked up. And it's not going to take you where you need to go. All right, sorry, Oprah. It just doesn't work. But what we don't realize is like all the thing, who you are, it was shaped by your parents and your coaches and your pastors and those who discipled you. and those who, Like you're not a self-made man or self-made woman. Let, let me give you a little illustration from my own life because um, I, I know my life the best. Um, is that someone lovingly, patiently had to tell me, Ryan, there's no future in professional golf for you. Or basketball. You can laugh, you can, you know, whatever. But someone lovingly had to do that, right? I, uh, my, my, my claim to fame is I, I got to play one round of golf with Tiger Woods. I was a, uh, a freshman and he was a senior in high school. We, we, we lived in the same, same town. It was a little golf, ter- golf tournament, part of a high school tournament. I got to play one round. After seeing Tiger Woods play, I thought, there's no future in this for me. <laughs> like, I thought I was decent. 
And I saw him play. I'm like, no, he, no that's a different level. And, and then over time, as I, as I played a little more, I got a little more serious about it. I went to a professional golf tournament, and I, and I was watching the pros, and I'm just like, that's just a different game than, than what I play. And then as you can tell, I, I wasn't gifted with height or athletic ability or skills. And so um, after high school basketball, I realized there's just not a, a whole lot of market for five foot ten white point guards. There just aren't. And I still think I have a little game left, but, but someone lovingly had to come and say, Ryan, that's just not who you are. It's just not, that's not your future. There's no, no future in that. It'd be crazy for you. But see, here's what, what the myth would say is, no, no one's going to tell me what to think, what I'm to think. I, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to do, I don't care what anyone says, I'm going to do that thing. That would have been crazy, wouldn't it? Now, maybe I could get lucky and, and you know, make a few qualifying schools, make a few tournaments. But, but, but see, the, the reality is that we all need a shepherd, someone from outside of us to show us the true way, to say this is where life is found, this is where hope is found, this is where light is found, this is where wisdom is found because we don't possess it in ourselves. And that's what the good shepherd Jesus comes along to do in a loving way. You say, let me show you who you really are, but let me show you lovingly what the life that I have for you that's even greater than making the PGA Tour or the NBA. I was thinking about uh, this week, uh, earlier in John's Gospel, in John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but, but it's the, the famous story of the woman at the well. And, and, and the story of the woman at the well is just a, an astounding story of, of understanding who God is. That, that Jesus comes to this woman at the well and um, they're having this conversation, one of the great spiritual conversations, I think, of all of Scripture. And they're going back and forth and she's confused about, you know, who's this Jesus and what's he talking about? Um, and you get to 16, he says, go call your husband and, um, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say, some people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, there is an hour coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And so Samaritans had a kind of a warped view. They had kind of an Old Testament faith and kind of their own view of, of faith. And Jesus is engaging her in this conversation. He's saying, it's not, you know, worship of me is not about a, a geographic location, as the Samaritans believed. That true worshipers will go to this one place and worship me here. He says, no, it's about spirit and truth. You can worship me anywhere. But do you see how she's avoiding the, the true question about it? He's engaging her about her, her, her life. Oh, yeah, I, I see that you're... had a lot of men... And the one you're with isn't your husband either. Jesus isn't minimizing that at all. But, but, but as, a, as a loving good shepherd, what he's, he's doing is he's revealing her stupidity, her losses, her sheepness. This is not going to lead anywhere good. That, that, that I love you that much that I would be honest to say, hey, this isn't going to go anywhere well. And if you read the rest of the story, what does she end up being? One of the great evangelists of the scriptures. You're not going to believe he came and he said, he knew everything about me. I, I've been with five guys and, and the guy I was with, not even my husband. 
And he doesn't condemn her or destroy her, but he doesn't leave her in her sin either. And that's what the good shepherd does. Is he says that I know what you need, that you're weak, that you're not living as you're supposed to, but I love you that much that I'm going to put you on my shoulders and I'm going to carry you across the river to living waters. And I'm going to give you something, even in John 4, that you can drink that will satisfy your soul now and forever. And I know you better than you know you. That's how connected we are. But I'm also doing something about it, that I'm providing all that you need. Isn't that interesting that Jesus, if you look at world religions and philosophies, that, that Jesus doesn't you know, leave us like a body of teaching or, or philosophy and say, oh, okay, good, good luck. That he actually comes to us. That we actually connect to a person. Yes, we have the scriptures, but the, the scriptures didn't fall down from heaven and say, well, here's this book, now just follow these philosophies or these ideas. The, the, the shepherd comes to us and says, I want to be in relationship with you. I want you to come to me. I want you to come and trust me to come and listen to me as I've revealed myself through my word and by my spirit. It's good that I go away, right? About the Holy Spirit to teach you and guide you and lead you to all truth. So the good shepherd has this intimate relationship with, with his flock, and, and he knows them better than he is. But he all, this good shepherd also knows, um, that does something very unique, is that he gives his life for the flock. You probably caught that in, in verses 11 and, and, and following. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices his life. For the sheep, verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The reason why I started the sermon and said that the relationship between a shepherd and, a, and, a, and the sheep is so intimate is that the only way you could be a good shepherd was to fully give yourself to the sheep. There's no part-time shepherding. You had to fully sacrifice for them, for them to thrive, for them to get where they need. Because remember, sheep are dumb. Right? This was not a, this is like, you know, the, the, the short bus. I shouldn't say that. That's probably crude. But, um, but, but these, these sheep are not good, smart animals. And so if they're not good, smart animals, that means you have to be really, really patient and really, 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 really you know, gracious with them because they're going to do all kinds of crazy things and they're going to leave the pen and they're going to get attacked by wild animals and all kinds of chaos is going to ensue. And yet you have to get down on your knees and get to know them on this intimate level. And yet this shepherd was willing to lay his life down for them to do anything it would take to make sure that they thrive and have everything that they need. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us that he would lay his own life down for us. Now, I left out one verse because I think this is a really important verse to understand what that means. And, and if you look at verse 18, it says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Bet you didn't know there were Hondas in the Bible, did you? I lay it down on my own accord. That one's free. You can use that anytime you like. But, but the, I want you to hear this. It's not just Jesus just generically like, okay, I guess I'm, I, I'll do that for them. 
He, he willingly says that I love you this much, that I, I would give my own life. I value this much. I, I love you this much that I would lay it down willingly. I can lay my life down any way, any time I want. I'm the God and creator of the universe. And this is why I said at the beginning, I want you to make this personally. How is he your good shepherd? Do you know that the only way that the, the gospel penny will drop in your life and in my life is when we start hearing these personal things, not just generic things you heard in Sunday school or growing up in the church that, yeah, Jesus lived and died for me. But he personally said he knows your sheepness. He knows your sin. He knows your weakness. He knows what you did in your past and how you're going to screw everything up in the future. And yet he was willingly to give it all his best, everything for you and to shed his blood for your sins in your place. He values you and loves you that much. I can lay my life down any way I want, anytime I want, but I'm doing it for you. Not that he's incomplete. Not that he's lacking love. I have to say, you know, it's not, you know, Jerry Maguire, you complete me. But it reverses that that idea, and says, God loved us first. That's why we love him. He came to us first. That's why we love him. He didn't have to. The, the, the Trinity was not having a debate or a conversation about, just Dude, we're just so lonely up here. We could just have some humans or, or some more companionship. They have everything they need. And yet John 17 says that the Father and the Son, this relationship from all of eternity, we just read that in John chapter 10, this love that the Father and the Son shared from all of eternity. I want to share that with the universe. That's why I came. That's what the mission of the universe is. That's why the world exists, Jonathan Edwards says. The whole universe exists for this reality. What I'm saying to you this morning, it's not to get your 401k stock. It's not a bad thing. Get your 401k on. It's not to get this certain career, or have this certain vocation, a certain amount of money, or have kids or whatever. The, the entire universe exists. You and I exist. The world exists. The beauty that we see outside is because the creator God, redeemer God, has made us in his image so that we could walk in intimacy with him and have a good shepherd, just as Jesus says. And Jesus was willing to lay his life down so that could happen. So that we can know this God. So that we can have access to this God. He would do anything and everything to make sure that the sheep thrived. You see this language of, of sheep and shepherd in Isaiah 53, probably a famous chapter. You probably read this before. Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. It's talking about Jesus, pointing to Jesus hundreds of years before the cross. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. I miss verse six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're all sheep, aren't we? Like the beauty of embracing your sheepness it's where the beauty of the gospel of grace explodes in your heart. But until you embrace your sheepness, the beauty and love and mercy and grace of God in the gospel is very small and insignificant. Like if you still think you have it all together and Jesus is just kind of a tack on to your life, this over here is going to mean very little. Those who understand they've been forgiven much love much. 
That's why those that have a hard time forgiving other people is because they haven't experienced the forgiveness of Christ in a profound way. They don't think they, anyone else is deserving of it. They'll take it. Sure, God should forgive me. But you don't, you don't know what they did. And I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. Believe me. I know it's difficult. I, I had a mom who abandoned me and I thought I'd forgiven her and I didn't and led to all kinds of stuff. But, but unforgiveness is a cancer to our soul, isn't it? So we carry it around. Do you know that unforgiveness actually destroys your future no matter how well your life tends to go? You know why? Because you're still harboring that thing and you're hoping that person, harm comes to that person. So all your energy and all your effort is in this unforgiveness, this bitterness. And so your whole future is actually destroyed until you lay that thing down. It's a hard reality, isn't it? Because you spend all your energy, I just want them to die. I just want them to be hurt. I just want them to be harmed. I, I don't, I don't, you know, you don't understand, Ryan, what they've done to me. I want God to just show up and destroy them. How's that going to lead to any joy in your life? Not. It's just going to lead to more bitterness, more anger, and more harboring. Again, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. It's, it's not. It's not by any means. But the way in which we become people who can forgive and forgive quickly is the more we see the grace and mercy and forgiveness given to us in Jesus Christ. The more we see the shepherd laying his life down for his sheep, the more we embrace our own sheepness <laughs> and realize we're just like those sheep flailing around outside the pen, aren't we? Like I should I should have got like a YouTube video because we'd probably be laughing our heads off, but I mean, sheep are just, they're nutso. They're not just like, we're free, we're free. They're just like, oh, anxiety, panic. I need some Xanax. But yeah, that's who Jesus comes for. So the good shepherd gives his life for the flock, but, but also the good shepherd gives us a new name. Gives us a new name. I, I, I love this in, in, in the text. <clears throat> we go to, uh, actually, if you back up a couple verses, Andy, Andy mentioned this uh, last week four and five, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then if you jump down to verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. Well, how do I, how does that have to do with giving them a name? So a shepherd was so intimately connected to the sheep that he would actually give each individual sheep a name. Might be, <laughs> I was going to say whitey. That sounds kind of weird. Um, but maybe it had something to do with the color that they were. Maybe they were brown, they were brownie, shorty, fatty, cutie. Now again, they went, in the ancient world, they wouldn't use that kind of words. But, but think about the intimacy here. He, he, the shepherd knows each and every sheep so well that he's going to give them a particular name. Now, I, I, read, I did some uh, research this week um, because this is what pastors do. We read a lot of weird stuff. Um, is There was an interview with a, with a, a modern-day shepherd who was talking about ancient shepherds, and he said this, this was very interesting. He said, if you blindfolded a shepherd in ancient times and you brought all his sheep to him, and all he could do was just reach out his hand and touch the different sheep. He could tell you exactly which one it was by their name. Just by their physical features. 
He knew him that well. So, so what, is, what is John saying here? What is Jesus saying here? This, this voice, this intimacy that, that when, when the sheep were lost and they're running around and the wolf comes into the sheep pen is that they knew the master's voice so well, so intimately because they, they knew them backwards and forward and he would give them a name and he could just say, come, follow me and they would, they would come and follow him because they were so closely connected and that when we become Christians is that Jesus gives us a new name. He gives us a new identity. And we see that all over the scriptures, right? Names are always, always about status and significance, right? Peter, what was Peter's name? The, the rock. One of you knew that. Okay, let's go home and read our Bibles. I know more of you are just shy. When, when Abram was what? Became Abraham. Right? He's going to be the, the father of many, many nations. It was about status and significance. That when we come encounter with the living God, he gives us a new name. You're not just Ryan anymore. You're not just Italian anymore. You're not just born in California in July 1, 1979. Those things are important, but they're not as important as the name that I give you. And when you have a new name, you begin to hear my voice. Isn't it interesting the, the idea of naming in the scriptures? In Genesis chapter 2, um, God gives Adam the opportunity to name all the animals. It's, it's human dignity. And worth. He, he gave Adam, I mean, this guy, he, he says, you can name all the animals, whatever you want to call them. And he even got to name the first woe man, right? He's naming all these animals, and he's just going, okay, yeah, zebra, giraffe, whatever, lizard. This isn't cutting it, God. They're not, they're not fit for me. I need a helper. Lizard's not going to do it. Giraffe, weird animal. But then he creates out of his own rib this woman. And what does he say? Whoa, man. I'm going to call her woman. So, so God gives, gives Adam this, this great opportunity to name all, all, all the animals and, and name the first woman, which is, is very beautiful. But if you follow the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, here's what it says. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and the lamb through the middle of the street in the city. <coughs> also on the other side of the river, the tree of life, with the 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer, therefore, anyone, anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants with him, worshiping him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will, not, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The Bible begins with us naming everything. The Bible ends with God naming us. What is your problem and my biggest problem in my life? I want to make a name for myself. Whether you're man, woman, or child, I think the, the longing of every human heart is I want to be significant. I want to do something. I want to have my name and lights. That's why you know, fame is such a, a draw, isn't it? But it's funny when you talk to famous people, they're miserable. Like, I got all these things. I got the movies. I got the money. And yet they all say the same thing, right? It's just not enough. 
Read an interview years ago, Rolling Stone, Brad Pitt. Handsome man, very good looking man. Gifted actor, right? He says, this isn't it. I've done the movies, I've made the money, I've gone through relationships, I've adopted kids from Africa. It's not going to do it. And he's a kid who grew up in the church. And we all know that deep down, right? We, we want this significance. And so we spend our whole lives looking for a name. Will someone just give me a name? Someone give me significance. Maybe it's through marriage or, or parenting or, or work or vocation or money or status or building something for God or, or whatever it is. But in the end, Jesus is going to come and he's going to stamp his name on your head and say, you don't need that name. I'm giving you a name. Because I know my sheep so well and I know what you need and now you have a new name that you don't need to live for that anymore. I mean, there's an issue, that's the end of the Bible, right? That's the new heavens and the new earth. That day hasn't come yet, but, but when you become a Christian, you do get a name. You, are, you belong to Jesus. You are part of the family of God. You're a, a saint, a new creation, whatever language you want to use. But, but Jesus says, you're mine and I love you. Your new name is Jesus. And that identity should drive everything that you are. It should drive how you see work and how you see family and, and how you see relationships and how you see money and, and, and time and, and, and everything that you are is that you, now you have this new identity. And you see, the struggle in our lives is when we're always trying to find a different identity, a different name to live into. Rather than the all-consuming one who says, I'm the good shepherd. I know you. I laid my life down for you. You know my voice. I know your voice. I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a new identity. And you see, the, the problem is when we look to humans to, to be that for us, is that, <laughs> let me let you on a little secret, they're sheep too. Remember, sheep aren't that smart. So then we're in the same predicament, aren't we? But when we get our ultimate name and our ultimate identity and, and listen to our ultimate shepherd's voice, it flows down into all those relationships. So what are the implications of this? What does this mean for us as we leave here this morning? This isn't a, a go and do and do more for Jesus. This is really an invitation to walk with God personally. And he wants to commune with you. He's a good shepherd. This is personal, intimate relationship. Hopefully, through the metaphors of, of shepherd and sheep, you're, you're beginning to see how close that relationship is and what Jesus has done and how he's become that for you. Going to these great links. He wants to, the Bible says that Jesus wants a friendship with you. And what do friends do? They talk regularly. Prayer. Get out and meditate on Scripture. Right? Get to know the, the person, right? Get to, if you want to get to know who God is, well, guess what? You say, hey, get to know me. I'm in here. I'm telling you more and more of who, who I am, right? If you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. So if you want to get to know this, Jesus, he's given us everything we need. So we, we commune, we talk, we, we have this relationship with each other. What, what else do good friendships have? They're honest. That means we confess. Confess our sins. We confess our sheepness. <laughs> I can guarantee you, your friendships or any relationship that doesn't have any depth of, hey, this is where I screwed it all up, it doesn't, you don't have a very deep relationship. 
It's all built around hobbies and stuff you like and how awesome you are and how we love to take selfies together. But if you never confess anything, you never get vulnerable with anything, I guarantee your relationship lives on the surface. But here's what's beautiful about Jesus. He says we need to confess our sins, right? We need to repent. We need to come clean. The Psalms are a great place to do that. They're honest, aren't they? God can handle any problem that you have. How long, O Lord? Where are you, O God? So, so we get honest, right? But also I think what, what the calling means is that we're also called to be shepherds ourselves. Because Jesus said there's more shepherds that aren't in the fold yet. And so as we get to know the good shepherd, guess what? We become like the good shepherd. Who, who loves, who is gracious, who is kind, who is joyful, who is, who is peaceful, who, who loves his enemies, who prays for his enemies. That, that as we get to know the good shepherd, we're going to be an attractive people. We're going to be attractive individuals that go out and show others who this good shepherd is. Who's willing to lay their lives down for the good of others. And suffer and sacrifice just like our Savior. So that others can come into the fold. I know we've talked a lot about sheep and animals, and I know it's my specialty, but isn't it interesting when you think about a lion? I know the youngs were just in Africa and actually got to see some lions up close. Correct, right? Um, lions are pretty cool by themselves, but it's really cool when they're in a pride together. Would you agree? You have to say yes, or this illustration is not going to work. Okay, yes. Um, like fish are really cool by themselves, like, yeah, they're nice, little goldfish, but when you see them in a school, they're pretty amazing. Christians are okay by themselves, but as the church together, that's where some amazing things happen. When we begin to shine that light, when we begin to shine our our sheepness, when, the, when this community has been, been, been transformed by the love and grace and mercy of, of God, we're able to show the world that this is who God is and this is what he's, he's come to do. I think this happens best together, not in isolation. And you've heard me say this many times from the pulpit, that's what's going to make New City Church, a place that people want to come and explore the the teachings of Christ and the gospel and be part of this community. It's not going to be one pastor or one person, but it's going to be a community of people that have been transformed by the love and mercy of this good shepherd and that extend that same amazing love to those around them collectively. Does that take a lot of pressure off each, each of you individually as well? Because we all have different gifts and talents and personalities and temperaments. I mean, some of you, I just don't want you even around visitors. I mean, that's just because you're awkward. And that's, can we just be honest? Is that Okay. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know that, right? That's okay. Like, that's the beauty of the body. We're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different, different talents. But collectively, it's this beautiful thing that only God can miraculously do what he does in the church to take these sheep that have wandered out the fold and who are full of anxiety and worry and losing their minds and don't even know what to do out in the wild and this shepherd to come and bring them in and carry them on his shoulders and bring them across the water to living water. Only God could do that. That's why I think the church is one of the greatest apologetics that the world can know. We can say, oh, God doesn't exist and this and that, but it's like, this is a miracle. This is not human ingenuity, believe me. 
this was my idea, your idea, it would look very, very different. It would probably involve a lot more chicken wings. So every week we have this great privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to celebrate the good shepherd who has come, that who laid his life down for his, his sheep, that broke his body, the bread representing the broken body of, of Christ and the blood and shed blood atoning for our sins, to cleanse us from our sheepness, to restore us, to forgive us, to give us new life in him. And, and so if you're a believer in Christ, please come and, and celebrate with us that your sheepness doesn't keep you out of the pen. But what brings you to the pen is, is trusting in Jesus, that he's the way through the gate. It's not your goodness or your morality or, or how good your week went or what have you, but it's trusting in the, the shepherd that's come to, to bring you home, to bring you to himself. And so we just want to invite you to, to come. The way we take communion is we break off a piece of the bread, we dip it in the cup. Um, if you have any allergies, we have some allergy-free, uh, gluten-free bread there in the middle. You can take that as well. And if you're not a believer uh, this morning, we would just ask you to stay seated. But we want you to consider, um, who's the one that leads your life? And how's that going? That, that we believe there is a good shepherd, and we believe he's the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we, we want you to know him. And we've all been there. And we always say, you know, it's time to begin to d- doubt your own doubts. Um, and look to the one who says, I am the bread of life and the light of the world and the door and the gate and the, the good shepherd. Consider what that means. So with that, let us pray. Father, um, thank you for your grace even to help me get through a sermon. And thank you for your grace toward us, God, that like all sheep, we've gone astray. And yet the good shepherd has come and found us. And he doesn't just find us and then go off and do his own thing, but you, God, you come and you, you love us and you encourage us and you bless us and you um, give us your spirit and you walk with us. You sacrifice for us and you, you serve us and, and we're so unworthy of that. So God, out of hearts of gratitude and, and obedience, God, we just ask that you give us the, the grace and the mercy to live as if that's true, as if you are our good shepherd. To live as if the gospel really is good news for sheep like us. So help New City be a place where, where despite our sheepness, despite our weakness, despite our sin, we know a God who's redeeming and restoring all things, who's given us a new name. And the invitation's always on the table for anyone that would believe. So help us, oh God, by the power of your spirit and by your grace. We love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.